Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, enhance your mental and physical health, and encourage community. We have an exciting and very welcome interview today with Drs. Hal and Sidra Stone. We're going to be talking with them on their work with Voice Dialogue, partnering a new kind of relationship. That's one of their books, by the way, Partnering a New Kind of Relationship. And also on, we know, what works and what doesn't work, perhaps, in relationships. So stay tuned. Everyone has a relationship of some kind that they can learn about. Stay tuned for this great interview. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. There's a, uh, there's a YouTube video that I want to re- uh, refer you to. It's Bill Moyers interviewing a, a Crystal Freeland, F-R-E-E-L-A-N-D, on her latest book called Plutocracy. The, um, the point of the book is that the plutocracy, the control by the wealthy in this country, is of proportions that have never been seen historically uh, in this country. She documents that after the down, what we call the downturn in the economy, the 1% took over in the year following 93% of uh, the income of the country. Um, you may question that. You may want to have some thoughts about that. But I think you do want to read about it because it appears to be uh, an event a psychosocial economic event, if you will, that is affecting the lives of everyone in these United States. And therefore, everything political has an effect on our health, and this economic situation is going to have an effect on the health and the health care of everyone in the country. Again, Freeland, F-R-E-E-L-A-N-D, the book is Plutocracy, the interview is Bill Moyers, it's on YouTube. Here's something from the BBC. Exercising in your 70s may stop brain shrinkage. Uh, The the, the research on the positive effects of exercise are coming in from everywhere, in the United States and from all over the world. And many of you might say, duh, you know, what's new? Well, it's important that we do have scientific research to back up what we think is sort of a common sense thing, that namely, namely that exercise is going to enhance your health. Because we also may find that some things that we thought would help don't. In this study, brain scans of 638 people past the age of retirement showed clearly that those who were most physically active had less brain shrinkage over a three-year period. So there's a clear connection between less brain shrinkage, more brain function, and exercise, particularly when the people who are in their 70s continued to exercise. But here's something now that might be a little counterintuitive. The study also found that there's no real brain size benefit from doing mentally challenging activities. So those of us who are engaging in cognitive calisthenics, if you will, maybe having a lot of fun doing crossword puzzles and, in my case, attempting to learn Latin, but 
all we're doing is having a lot of fun because so far the science says no real benefit. So again, bottom line, great benefit from exercise, physical that is, no benefit from cognitive calisthenics. Another one, another piece of research validating what many of us, what, suspected, believed, um, but some questioned, namely the negative effects of secondhand smoke. A new study has found the strongest evidence yet that a smoke-free workplace, the smoke-free workplace laws that reduce secondhand smoke inhalation actually led to reductions in heart attacks. Yep, the research carried out by scientists at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, found a 33% drop in heart attacks in one Minnesota county after public smoking bans were enacted. The doctor in charge of the study, Richard Hart, says, I think the bottom line is that this should turn the page on the chapter discussing whether or not secondhand smoke is a risk factor for heart attacks. They studied 144,000 people, and their findings were very clear. So those of you who are in any kind of an environment where there are others smoking, you can point to this literature if you want, it's published in the Archives of Internal Medicine. You can find it on Google, Archives of Internal Medicine, the Mayo Clinic study. The smoke-free workplace does lead to fewer heart attacks. Over the years, I've heard, many of us have heard, that there seems to be some vague connection between creativity and mental illness. You know, you hear these stories about Van Gogh, about Caesar, well, he was epileptic, various, you know, uh, uh, people. You, wonder, you know, is there really some connection? Well, science went after this. Last year, a science team showed that artists and scientists were more common amongst families where bipolar disorder and schizophrenia is present compared to the population at large. They subsequently expanded their study to more psychiatric diagnoses such as schizoaffective disorder, depression, anxiety syndrome, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, autism, ADHD, attention deficit disorder, anorexia nervosa, and suicide. And they included people in outpatient care rather than exclusively hospital patients. They tracked 1.2 million patients and their relatives all the way down to second cousin level. Yep. And the results confirmed that certain mental illnesses, bipolar for example, is more prevalent in the entire group of people with artistic or scientific professions, such as dancers, researchers, photographers, and authors. Yep, authors also specifically, authors, authors, writers also specifically were more common amongst most of the other psychiatric diseases. Further, the researchers observed that creative professions were more common in the relatives of patients with schizophrenia, bipolar, anorexia, and to some extent, autism. So, what's the bottom line here? Well, one doctor said, if one takes the view that certain phenomena associated with the patient's illnesses are beneficial, it opens the way for a new approach to treatment. 
doesn't it? I mean, do you want to take away what's called the mental illness and then lose the creativity? This is something that Freud was dealing with way back a hundred years ago. The question of if certain drives to create are, quote, neurotic and you take away the neurosis, do you lose the creativity? Well, something to think about. Just an interesting little piece of mental health trivia that I wanted to share with you. And now, on to our interview with Hal and Sidra Stone. It is my privilege to have these two on our program today. Together, they've spent over 30 years, individually, many more than that, studying relationships, couples, and what they're calling partnering. Doctors Hal and Sidra Stone have written a whole series of books, many of which, if not all of which, you want to take a look at, Embracing Ourselves, Embracing Each Other, Embracing Your Inner Critic, You Don't Have to Write a Book, Embracing Heaven and Earth, The Shadow King. They have a whole series of audio cassettes that you can get online, as well as video cassettes. Most importantly, from my perspective, They've been working on their own relationship for many decades. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Hal and Sidra. Great to be here, Richard. Great to be here. In the beginning of your book, Partnering, quote, A New Kind of Relationship, you tell a story called The Star Maiden. I'd like to ask you two to begin our interview now by telling us the story of The Star Maiden. Well, the story uh, begins with a, a Bushman farm. It's a Bushman uh, fairy tale. Uh, a Bushman uh, farmer uh, discovers that he has just a few cattle. He's not very wealthy. And uh, every night it seems like it, the cows give less and less milk. And he doesn't know what's happening. And finally he decides to stay up one night. And he does that. And he stays up. And what he sees is a very amazing sight, that at midnight he sees this ladder coming down from heaven, from the stars, and climbing down the ladder is a lovely, lovely woman. She's, uh, she's one of the star maidens, and she comes down to the ground, and she has a bucket, and she goes and milks his cow, and she's, as she's about to climb back up, he runs after her, and he, he stops her. And uh, he says, "You're going to become my wife because you, 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 uh, whatever you're doing, it sounds wonderful, and I'm not going to let you go back." And surprisingly, the star maiden says to him, "Well, okay, I'm willing to be your wife, and I will make you and everything that you own prosper. But I have here in my hands uh, a magic uh, box." And I'm going to put that box in our home, but that box is something private that belongs to me, and you must promise never, never, never to open it under any circumstances. And he makes that promise very happily, not knowing really what he's doing. But uh, he absolutely promises, and sure enough, um, they're married, and uh, he everything prospers. Pretty soon he has a huge farm and just a 
multiple number of cows and goats and all kinds of wonderful things in the years past. And uh, he has forgotten very much about uh, the box and the promises. And then one day he notices the box. And he thinks to himself, how foolish, it's covered with dust, and I've never paid any attention to it, but I'm really, really curious. And when she leaves to go about her business that day and take care of her chores, he peeks into it. He opens it up and he peeks into it. And when she comes back, she looks at him and she says, you've been looking at my box, you've opened it up. And um, he laughs, and he says, well, you know, what was the big deal? I didn't see anything in it. And she said, well, you opened it up, and I'm going to have to leave you now. And it's not because you opened it up, but it's because you could not see what was in it. And so it was that she left him. And we were very deeply touched by that story, because for us, it's really that a beautiful picture of feeling into the essence of the other person. If you can't feel the other person, if you can't see who they truly are, if you're just reacting to surface impressions, then um, then you lose the star maiden quality, the essential quality of one another, and the relationship goes dead. But, but suppose we want to see into the other Suppose we want to be what, what's called intimate, psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. What does your research and your life work tell us as the way to do this? Okay. Well, um, I would start with the beginning. The first thing you have to understand is that when you and another person are together in a relationship, that relationship is not between two people. Uh, the, the Sidras and my relationship is not between her and me. We're just the beginning of it. It's between 200 people because each of us are made up of what we call selves. And these selves are very, very real and very, very objective and they behave in ways that are very autonomous. And you can trace how they develop. For example, let's say you're entering a relationship, but you're a very, very driven person. You're just used to working 14, 16 hours a day, and when somebody says to you, how can you work that much, you say, well, that's just the way I am. Now, I understand that many people are vulnerable, you know, in today's uh, economy because of money and so forth, but there are these selves, and one of the selves is this pusher energy, and when this pusher energy drives you, there's no time for anything else. It's a pusher, for example, that might keep somebody at night working on a computer till 10, 11 o'clock, and then they want to go upstairs to bed, and then they want to be intimate. Well, you can't be intimate after you've been in the hands of a driven um self of this kind. Uh, well, basically, you know, if your pusher is, is, is running your life, and, and these different selves get developed over, over, literally over a lifetime, but Hal's example is a really good one because it's so common these days where 
our, our anxiety makes us work harder and harder and faster and faster. And you come up at 10 o'clock and you expect, say, uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and you expect the other person to be there for you for some kind of deep, intimate connection. And um, there's no you there. There's just this pusher with, okay, now let's be intimate. You know, it's, it's not romantic. It doesn't make connection with the other person at all. And, and for us, a lot of relating has to do with this energetic connection. Another very, very big one is what we call the inner critic. Let's say that uh, a, a woman, for example, uh, tr- is trying to be intimate and, and she goes into the bathroom uh, in the evening <laughs> before coming to bed and she looks in the mirror and she sees uh, wrinkles in her face and she thinks her nose is too big and her hair isn't quite right. And I mean, her body never looks good. Her body never looks good. <laughs> when you talk to some of these cells, it's, it's, it's funny, it's shocking, really, to see how much uh, uh, negation of, of us this this inner critic provides, and uh, you can't expect then to be able to be fully who you are in relationship when you don't value yourself. But we aren't aware that this is going on, and that's because certain of these cells are so strong and so powerful they really run our life, even though we don't know about them. But they run our life, and we, we give a name to those. We call those the primary selves of our life, the ones that we've grown up with and been conditioned into, and, and so and that And that keep us quite efficient or effective in the world, or at least as effective as, as we've been able to manage to be. The, w- the way the way you're talking about these selves, such as the critic or the uh, the pusher who works to, to late into the night and so on, it, it you make it sound as if these selves are parts of us, but there's sort of a deeper, if you will, or a more core self that's the essential self. Am I getting that right? I mean, are these people the the, the pusher and the critic and 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 the the various other you know selves? Are they all sort of uh, like planets around a central core? Well, let's put it this way, that you develop these power cells in order to protect yourself in growing up, because when, you, when you're born into the world, you're a very vulnerable person. So the, 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 one of the core cells is what we call vulnerability, or what many people have worked with is the inner child, Okay. That core vulnerability, if you can't grow up with that in charge of your life on the planet, so we develop power cells to uh, help us to not be vulnerable, because if, you're, if you stay vulnerable, you get beat up and you can't make it in the world. Uh, and this original self, what you're talking about, is sort of a core self. It's, um, we think of that as this, this original vulnerable child, and in some ways, these other selves that develop are like planets around that. And we do see this vulnerable child or core vulnerability or whatever it is one wants to call it. It's not the capital S-E-L-F that uh, Jung talks about, for instance, but it's, it is a, the core it's our essential being. It's our essential being, and sometimes we talk of it as 
containing something like a psychic fingerprint, like what it is in the soul maiden's basket. So when, when, when two people then get together, and each, in Hal's words, has maybe hundreds of selves, mm-hmm. it's no wonder that the divorce rate is so high, because it must be <laughs> tremendously confusing for, for, for all of us to be getting together, and who knows when, what part of me is going to get together with what part of you. Absolutely, well, uh, and you fall madly in love with, with one part or another and, um, and wake up with somebody else in the morning. Let me, let me give you a very <laughs> funny example of that. A very, very hard-working businessman from uh, a city on the West Coast <clears throat> uh, really worked very hard. He was a multimillionaire at a relatively young age and a very driven man. One month a year, he went to the island of Maui and spent a month there. In that month, his Maui personality came out. In other words, he really didn't do anything, and he was just in being energy, and he was the, the totally opposite person. He did that for 10 years running. In the 10th year, he met a woman and fell madly, passionately in love with her in, in, in the month that he was there, so much so <clears throat> that she sold her business, and they got married, and uh, they went back to his home uh, on the mainland. On the mainland, uh, you know, to start this new life together. They got back like on a Thursday. They were together on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Monday, he went to work. His pusher energy that has always driven him the other eleven months just did the thing that it always did, and their life went on that way, and of course she went crazy, and she couldn't believe this was the man she married. Which indeed it wasn't. And I think if you have no sense of self, and that it's not as though he was playing tricks on her, that if they realized that it was the self that came out, which they did fortunately, um, then there's something you can do to, to deal with that. I'm, I'm listen, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking to myself, a young a person meets someone else. Right. They, 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 they grasp what you're saying here about this multi- multiplicity of selves. They go and they meet someone, and they can be thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute, do I spend five or ten years first getting to know this person before I get any further? Because there might be 20 or 30 of these selves out there that I don't want to have anything to do with. Or do I make some kind of a commitment first and say, okay, I'm going to get to know all these selves th- uh, through our married life. Which way do you well, go? as a matter of fact, we, we call that relationship as teacher. Because every relationship can be used as a teacher. And the people that you have difficulty with in your life, they carry parts of you that you don't know about. They carry what we call the disowned selves, always. Like when Sidra and I met, I mean, we... We, 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 were, we were so the opposite to each other, it was unbelievable. And, and we carried each other's disowned selves. It's how we discovered everything about relationships. She was a, a New York Man- Manhattanite, you know, uh, that was just everything about Eastern establishment she carried. And everything about Eastern establishment was my disowned self. I was identified with California. I mean, even though I was a Ph.D. and I was an analyst back at that time, I'm not anymore, but back at that time I was an analyst, 
I wore my Birkenstocks. I had long hair. I mean, you can't believe how opposite we were. Now, in the falling of love phase, that just makes for a wonderful time together. But after because a certain point... you know point, what happens where those opposites are, they're, they're more attractive, they're sort of cute and funny, and it is what you said, you know, you do fall in love with the person. And then these cells uh, will emerge over time. And, and, and it's a lifetime really exploring them. You can look at it as something bad, or you can look at it as something really interesting. I mean, we know each other. We're together now 40 years, and there's always something new. <laughs> and it's, it can be very exciting and very enriching, actually. As Hal says, it's, it's a teacher. Relationship is probably, we have found it, as, as really the deepest teacher in our lives. Well, one of the things that you two are famous for is the ongoing processing of your relationship and learning mm-hmm. from, from one another in your relationship. Does it ever end? I mean, did you... Did, did you Why get, should it? Well, I don't mean end in terms of end the relationship. No, I mean it in terms of the... No, it end. It never... I can tell you the truth. The biggest surprise of my life... I'm going to be 85 uh, in... Any minute. Any minute? Congra- <laughs> well, <laughs> congratulations. I'm 85 in December. All right. The biggest shock of my... Uh, life and aging is that Sidra and I not only do we have many uh, experiences and work at many different levels but we are forced to continue to work on the, the, the same basic issues that we worked on when we first met because when you get older you become a hundred times more vulnerable you don't hear as well you don't uh, operate physically as well you're very, very uh, vulnerable about certain things in you that are not working right, and all of the and everything is a little slower. Everything's slower, so a lot of these primary cells that you thought you had solved thirty years before, they come up again, and you have to work with them. And I just thank God that we have some understanding and appreciation of all this. So it's not a big surprise to us, and we just work with them. So, no, it never ends, and it's terribly exciting. Yeah, I, I really want to point that out. It's, it's not like, it's not as though it's hard, hard, hard work. It, it, <laughs> if you slow down in other ways, this doesn't slow down, and it, it keeps you from getting bored. Do you, do you still quarrel? Yes. Oh, yes. You do? So oh, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we do that well, but we're accountable. Yes. Accountable but... means that... If let's say that I get uh, angry at Sidra and go after her with with real judgments and you know criticism, uh, okay, and, criticisms, uh, you know, na- nasty stuff, okay. Yeah, do you still she do that? Knows, no, uh, one sec. Do you still do that? Do you find yourself occasionally still doing that criticizing? Y- y- yes, not li- not very much anymore. It's it's oh, it's a heck of a lot. I mean, it's better. it's ten percent, five percent of what it was. I mean, it's way way less. Nevertheless. She knows I will be accountable for my actions because whatever I judge in her, uh, I know, we know that that means that a, a part of me is operating that is disowned. For example, let's say she's working too hard. She's always been a hard worker, and that's a primary self. I'd be much more likely to say, well, let's relax and do something else. 
So if she's at her desk and I get upset about it and I don't deal with her and talk about my vulnerability and I need contact, if I go after her with judgment, she knows that I will be accountable to her. That means I will do my work. I will work with her and figure out what it is that happened in the interaction and take my part of the responsibility. That's one of the fundamental things about partnering. Does, the two partners are accountable to the process. Does that mean not that you are surrendering to another person in partnering? You're not holding you're her responsible to the process of relationship. Yes, you're not. You're not holding her responsible for what you're criticizing her for, but you're exactly. looking within at yourself for what where what's coming up for you that you're being so critical. Exactly. And what, then that what, becomes a process between you, which is uh, really a lot, uh, very exciting. You're listening to Dr. Hal Stone, Dr. Sidra Stone. One of their books, Partnering a New Kind of Relationship, um, is mostly the, ta- the subject of today, though they have other books out that you're going to want to take a look at. I want to ask you about what you call the technology of relationship in your chapter on bonding patterns. What are bonding patterns? Bonding patterns are fascinating. They are a technology of relationship. And we've established we are made up of a lot of number of cells, infinite number, actually. But in the bonding patterns, what happens is the basic bonding pattern is a parent-child relationship when we're born, we have to be able to bond into our mothers so that we can get nourishment. It's, it's your basic way of giving nourishment and receiving nourishment. So in the bonding pattern, basically one, a father part of Hal, a father self in Hal, for instance, will bond into a child self, a daughter self in me, an equal and opposite a mother self in me is going to bond into or tie into a child self in Hal. And this is always equal and opposite, and it's what Hal talks about when he talks about accountability. We don't get into a bonding pattern by ourselves. It takes two of us. It is a dance of the selves in relationship. And basically what happens is we shrink down to two selves. I become a mother and a daughter to Hal. He becomes a father and a son to me. So um, he might, as he said, he might have a judgmental father that comes out that will be dealing with a stubborn daughter in me, and I will have, say, um, uh, a judgmental mother in me, a critical mother who will be judging him and he'll have uh, maybe a stubborn child or an angry one or a hurt one. And we literally get reduced to just two selves each in the relationship. And it's not who we are. It's these selves interacting. So we look at who do we become in a relationship. We look at what it is that has triggered something vulnerable in us at that moment. Hal was mentioning that as we get older, for instance, in our 70s and 80s as we are now. As we get older, we get more vulnerable. As anything happens in the world, we get more vulnerable. People are more vulnerable now than they have been. Um, any, any new, any new um, challenge in life can create some kind of vulnerability. And with each other, the interesting thing is 
if there's any disruption in our relationship and our connection, our energetic connection with each other, we often get vulnerable and just ignore it. And um, when we ignore our vulnerability and we don't deal with that directly, these cells will come in and start dealing with it. So, and then the last thing yeah. with what Hal was talking about, which is what's the disowned self that we carry for each other? This is a big and easy thing to take a look at. What is it that we are judging about the other person? And I like to give the example of how... Um, Hal used to like to feed the deer before we had mountain lions. He used to like to feed the deer in the morning. And when he'd go out and feed the deer, I would think, now that's really sweet. He's feeding the deer. But then there would be some mornings I would be really irritable with him and think, darn it, there he is. He's out there doing just what he wants. He's feeding the deer. And then I'd <laughs> stop and look at myself. And ask yourself where this criticism is coming from. Where does that criticism come from? Yesterday it was really cute. He was feeding the deer, and I like having a whole lot of deer here. And today it's irritating me. Where is it coming from? So identifying these different parts of ourselves is very important, to know that we're acting as this particular. I'm acting as the critical father. Yeah. What happens in a relationship uh, most of the time um, is that two people become very familiar to each other. I mean, you, you, you love each other, you care about each other, and it, uh, you don't want to do anything to spoil it. So that what there is is there's a tendency to stop reacting to the other person with things that bother you. There, there, there is a diminishing of negative uh, reactivity in general in the relationship because it doesn't feel good and things are going well. And you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to rock the boat. And so it moves the relationship towards familiarity, okay? We call that a positive bonding pattern. And that's really important. <laughs> now, there's no, it's not that a positive bonding pattern is a bad thing. It's it's a normal natural thing, and it, you know it's not something you want to get rid of. It's you can't. But what happens is that if a relationship gets locked into a positive bonding pattern over time, then there is the feeling of boredom and malaise and the lack of uh, and a lack of air in the relationship. A total lack of air. Well, it sounds like two and people. And that's when a lot of attra- uh, uh, attractions take place to other people. Because there's so little going on in the relationship. Exactly. And it sounds right. like. And, 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 and the irony is that, that you're trying to protect the relationship. This, this positive bonding pattern, and then that's just really a really responsible or loving or good parent. You think you're being taking care of the relationship by, by, by being careful not to offend the other person and just getting into habits that don't offend them. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but it, also you know, sa- you, it also sounds like you're walking on eggshells half the time. You, there are so many eggshells by the end of a good, strong, positive bonding pattern that there's no place to step. You know, I'm listening to some of the things you're saying, and, and it, it, sounds, it sounds like a lot of work. And I'm thinking about, 
you know, an, an average couple and they both go to work and they get up in the morning and they have to go through their grooming and go through breakfast and then they have to get, somehow manage to get to work, whether it's by a car or a bus or however the bicycle, however they get there. And then they work all day and then they get home, they have to come home and then first make dinner and then clean up the dishes. And by that time, where do, where do people, where are they going to find time to go through these, these important processes? Well, you know that something, uh, the, the, the divorce rate in, uh, in the country, I believe the last time I checked it was something uh, over, over 60%. Has it? It's gone over 60. The last time I looked, it was 53. It's, oh, it's above yeah, 60. Well, okay. You know, I, Fair I, enough. I, I can't guarantee it. Well, exactly. let's say it's between 50 and 60. Marriages, it's yes. almost about the same uh, place. The fact is that people don't do these things with each other, not just because they're busy, but because the, our consciousness hasn't caught up yet with them. The consciousness process ultimately will become will belong to more and more people and if it doesn't you pay you pay individually and our culture will pay a tremendous price for it because the fact is that when you become conscious human beings to each other when you begin to use the relate all relationship as a way of learning more about yourself when you start understanding that all some of the negativities and the judgments are based on our issues and not just the other person's issues, we change individually, relationship changes, and the world will change, okay? Because we have so much judgment that runs rampant in in our world, it's unbelievable. I understand what you're saying, and I understand the importance of what you're talking about in terms of accountability, of holding myself responsible, let's say, for my criticism of my fiancée, Jolie, hold myself responsible for criticizing right. rather than trying to prove to her that what I'm criticizing her about is accurate. I get that very clearly, but what I don't get is where people are going to find the time. I'm getting discouraged, actually, uh, and I'm not a, a, a pessimistic person, but I'm getting discouraged in terms of the reality of where people are going to find the time. I mean, not everybody can move to, uh, to, to Albion the way you two did and put a tremendous amount of your life energy into studying your relationship and enhancing it and making it a great relationship and having it for 40 years, which is, which is marvelous. But what are, what are folks to do I come back to? You know, it, it's sort of like the thing with the economics, the 1% and the 99%. How, how can people who are just struggling to, to get a little food on the table and, and, and make their, their, their mortgage payments be thinking about their relationship? That's well, a reality. Think, how do we do that, folks? I think one of the things is to just stop for a moment and try to look into the other person's basket. Uh-huh. Is, is really try to go for um, a connection and the linkage and to pay attention to, as Hal said, to when a judgment comes up. So if, if I'm judging, as I said, if I'm judging that Hal is, is, is too self-indulgent, then it means I'm driving myself too much. If I uh, judge that he's um, too forceful, then I'm probably not being forceful enough. So I have to take a look at myself, and it's really a two-minute process. Something like that doesn't take a long 
um, a, a long set of self-analysis. To look at what we're pointing the finger at the other about and then look within at the three fingers coming back to what am I saying about myself yeah, when right. I am pointing exactly. such a heavy yeah, finger a at the person that I love? That I think people can do, okay? Yes. Okay, one of the, one of the things that we recommended to many, many people is, is the fact that we lead these busy lives and there are so many decisions that have to be made when you're, I mean, it, you have to do it when you're living alone. There's a lot to take care of. But when two people are living together and there's children, it is, it, there are just a huge number of decisions. One of the things we recommend is that couples set aside certain time for ongoing regular business meetings. Business meetings means you sit down and you take care of all the business because whatever you don't take care of in a conscious way, you see, if you don't do this, then you, you, you take that business and that anxiety and all the uh, unmade decisions and all the negativity, around, you take that into the intimacy of the relationship. It destroys the intimacy of the relationship. You take it into the bedroom. So finding some ongoing, regular way to take care of the... the who, who's going to do what Who's going and to do when? what? And if you don't do that, then we, we, we use the fallback position. So, for example, if you don't make a decision about who it is that's going to take in the laundry on Saturday and who's going to take care of this and that, then what happens is if a woman has been in her life somebody who always did that sort of thing, then she does it in the relationship. You see? I understand. And what you're... When you start going into those fallback positions in relationship, that creates those negative bonding patterns and things go to hell. For example... So you're saying make conscious choices, aren't you, pal? You're saying, yeah. you're saying look at the chores of... The, what you mean by business is to look at the chores of living and put aside time to make conscious choices about who does what because if you don't make a conscious choice, the choice will be made for you and then you'll be back into an old pattern that you, exactly. may not, that you won't like. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. Uh, one second here. I want, I want to give the phone number out because some of the folks may want to call in and ask you a question. The number here is 707-937-5103 if you have a call or a question for Drs. Sidra and Hal Stone. 707-937-5103. Making conscious choices. Much right. different. Otherwise, as I said, they, they're, they're going to be made for you. And, and how few of us do that, how few of us sit down, what you're calling having a business meeting on a regular basis, and look at what it is that it takes to live. And we how- always feel better when we do that, because we're so, uh, we, can, we handle so much data, so Everybody many different does. things, and, and both of us have a tendency to be very responsible, and, and we, it's very strange, it's so easy for us to end up alone trying to work on these things. You can't believe it. We, we always feel better when we, when we do this. And then your description of, of an average day of people who, you know, just live regular lives, that's very, very important to, to have that. The other thing is how we can basically take care of our own needs or vulnerabilities and how much we can get, just get in touch with the little things that we are not reacting to uh, during a day, something that the other person does, where we're, we're 
kind of abandoned emotionally, where they come in and, and don't say hello and just run off to turn on the television to see what's going on, for instance. Sometimes it's really just sharing, I need a little connection. Yeah. I'm we, wondering... we do a lot of work <clears throat> with couples <clears throat> on what we call an energetic level. We call this linkage. Linkage is the actual energetic connection you have to another person. In a relationship, from our perspective, <clears throat> the primary linkage in a relationship <clears throat> must be between the two adults, between the mother and the father, the man and the woman, or in a gay couple between the, 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 the two adults. It, it, that has to be the primary linkage, because when you lose that with each other, the primary linkage then shifts. And that's why you have so many families in which a mother's primary linkage may be to her son and the father's primary linkage to a daughter. Or sometimes you find a primary linkage to, to the dog. But when it disappears from the two adults who are in charge of the whole thing, when they lose that, then things are going to become difficult in the relationship and and a big price is going to be paid so you have to you have to fight for relationship you have, you to, have to fight do for everything you can to create space and time no matter how busy you are you've got to find a way to have separate time for yourself so that you can reconnect on an energetic level and i tell you suddenly all the problems of the world feel much, much better when you feel that kind of connection. And Hal is talking about, you know, the linkage going to children or to a pet, but these days it goes to the computer, it goes to all of the devices, it, um, it goes to the television set, it can go to drinking or drug usage, it can go to anything that we're more attached to than one another. How, is linkage con connected in some way to commitment? And what's the place of commitment in relationship from your perspective? Well, commitment is is often um, like a, a, a promise that a self makes. Yes, till death do us part is a form of commitment, right? In the marriage vow. Yes. And the commitment that we talk about often is the commitment to uh, the relationship and to being connected, not to just not reacting to each other, to being a good kid. Because basically a lot of us have had this picture of what we would call a positive bonding pattern as commitment. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to say anything bad. I'm always going to be responsible. And it's, it's almost a promise for something unrealistic. I mean, we are deeply committed to each other and to our relationship and to the growth of consciousness in our relationship. But it's to the connection that we're committed, not to something more legalistic, even though we have been married for 34 years, 35 <laughs> years. 35 years. And my, my friend uh, Lonnie Barback was on the program some months ago, and she quoted a study that indicated a study of successful couples that indicated that they spend the, on the average of 20 minutes a day processing the relationship. Really? Yeah. Uh, that sounds minimal. 
And mm-hmm. yet, in today's life, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like both. I mean, where are we going to get 20 minutes on the one hand? And on the other hand, for the most important relationship in our lives, it sounds like a drop in the bucket. Well, you know, we've been in the business, as you have, for a long time. <clears throat> I have to say, I personally am very optimistic. I can't worry about all the people in the world who aren't doing the work. All I know is there are a very large number of people who are doing the work. And I don't mean just our work. There are, there are just millions and millions of people who, have, uh, who are, are working at becoming conscious human beings in their own way, in their own style. I'm very excited oh by the way it's going. And I, I look at people's lives, and I see the lives changing. I see relationships changing. You know, being a, a conscious in relationship is not a guarantee that your relationship is going to make it. You, you, some people, you know, develop a great deal of consciousness, two people together, and uh, they, they may decide that, that that's not the, the way it goes. They, you know, they go someplace else. But when they do that, they remain friends if they've really been working on the relationship. You have to, you have to, one of the things you have to do as you get older in relationship, as you've been together longer, is you, you have to learn to do things that, that cut into this kind of familiarity. For example, we live, you know, we live on a farm here that we fixed up. And like in the mornings, I, I dress most mornings in a serious way. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't come down looking like uh, uh, Farmer John. I, I take it, and Sidra is the same way. She she dresses. She, we're dressing for each other, <laughs> even though nobody else is ever going to be here to see us. Of yeah, course, yeah. It's it's like when you it's respecting each other. <laughs> it's, it's just treating each other like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. If she gets too schleppy and there's you know she starts wearing stuff, I don't like. I tell her. Yeah. I react. Yeah. I, I'm not feeling good about what what you're doing. It just. Yeah, you're, you're wearing the same thing every. You know what I mean. I we definitely know what you mean. I, I know There's what you mean. Yeah, I do. I know what you mean, and I love it because I dress for dinner every night myself, and it's for the exact reason that you're talking about—to give respect to the fact that we're sitting together yeah. and, exactly. and we're being people, together. People, one of the biggest complaints of, in in all therapy is is sex. You you may have heard of that. I think I have. Anyhow, uh, but you know what we have found in our work is that a, a sex problem is rarely about sex. Things go wrong sexually not because of a sex problem. They, they go wrong because when you wake up in the morning, you're not talking to each other, or you're not being or, or with each other. Or it's not you that's talking to each other. Or it's two primary selves that are talking to each other, or two people of the mind that are always talking to each other, and you never share... Vulnerability. Or, or, or two people being so laid back they don't have the energy to talk to each other. You know, so, so, it, it can go either way. But it's no sharing of vulnerability. It's no joint. We talk about about um, about relationship as being no fault because it takes two of us to do it. Always. No um, fault. Uh, although it's so nice to blame the other person, good Lord, <laughs> it is... I mean, I think that is the most difficult. I mean, you're talking about time that it takes. But I'd say that giving up being righteous and making the other person wrong in relationship and figuring out what they're doing wrong in it is, is, is really harder to do than to find the time to, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day to just... So this is a theme. I hear a theme here, which is that finger-pointing is destructive. 
totally. Finger pointing yeah. is destructive. Well, we did our yeah. yeah, mirrors are much better. Point <laughs> the finger and then have it point back at us, <laughs> at you. Well, you know, that, yeah, that's something that uh, actually that Fritz Perls taught me many years ago, is that when you point a finger at someone, you've got three coming back pointed right at you. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, there's one other, I mean, there's so much to talk about in all this, but uh, there's one other huge area to look at, and that is very often when people get into the positive bonding pattern, <clears throat> they'll start using dope more. Now, we, we don't have judgments about dope. We've done our share, and, that's, and we've enjoyed the hell out of it. But the danger is that if you begin to use dope in the positive bonding pattern to create the sexual excitation and so forth, yes. You, you, you are losing, it often happens, is that you lose the opportunity of dealing what's really bothering you in the relationship. So rather than being reactive uh, to, to the things that are difficult for you, no, what's not working? What, in other words, you, what, you, what, I, you feel good and you, and you do good things and you have good sex, but, but it's very easy to lose the other person in that process because you're not dealing with the day-to-day stuff that's driving you crazy. You're saying that the dope or marijuana is covering over something, not just enhancing something, and you're missing you out on finding that. out right. what it is you're covering yeah. over. Hold on a second. We have a caller coming in here. Let's take this call. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for the show. You're welcome. Um, uh, I'm wondering if uh, Hal and Sidra have anything uh, helpful to say regarding uh, parent and child relationships, especially if they come from broken families. Okay, thank you for the question. Yeah. Parent-child relationships? Yes. There is, uh, we've got a nice two, uh, one and a half hours CD or MP3 on that. On parenting. We, we're, we have that situation in our family, um, and we've done, it's, it's really a very painful thing. It's very painful you get into the same kind of bonding patterns with child as you do with um, with a, a partner, and it's the child is usually carrying some disowned self of yours. Um, that there there's a huge vulnerability because it's it's a broken family that both the parent and the child, the actual child, feel, but they're usually carrying something that you don't have. For instance, Hal's children had his primary selves, what my disowned selves are. So my children were ultra-spiritual, both of them, ultra-spiritual, because that was my background. You know, I was a Jungian analyst, and I was very much into spirituality. Sidra was a woman of the world, and... Uh, and my kids and were her... rational and, and uh, scientific, and they had nothing to do with spirituality. They're not even horrendously psychologically oriented. <laughs> so I would get into uh, many nasty situations with them because it would be my spiritual, the spiritual part of me at war with the part of them that that rejected spirituality and just valued the world. Sidra would get into negative, these negative interactions with my children who are who overly identified with spirituality. So what you have to look at in the judgments is what is the, what's the quality they carry that drives you wacko? And that's separate from the disobedience and the um, and the arguments and uh, any any of the other just difficulties in in dealing. Uh, there are difficulties in in parenting style. There's always one parent who gets um, more. Uh, 
what, le- less strict and the other one who's more permissive. You know, one's more permissive, the other one is more controlling. And when you're a couple trying to deal with that, you drive each other more and more into the opposites. Very frequently, what we've noticed is the um, stepfather gets much more um, interested in discipline and control, and the actual mother gets very, very uh, permissive. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Well, maybe so, but we're going to have to wrap up because I'm getting a signal here that we're running out of time. I feel like we just started to scratch the surface, and this ought to be interview number one of a series that, that we'll do together. Maybe you'll consider that. Uh, the other thing for the listener is that uh, Hal and Sidra do have uh, cassette tapes, and one of them is on children and marriage, and and, uh, and you can get oh, and a hold of that. Oh, there's one on step parenting. That's fabulous. Because I understand it's on step parenting, and I, I realize that you know you had uh, 30 seconds or a minute for the question. You could go on for an hour and a half. Let me wrap that up by saying so. Thank you very much for taking the time from uh, of your lives to be on the program today, and I hope you will consider coming back so we can do uh, phase two of uh, partnering and relationship with uh, Hal and Sidra Stone. Thank you again, and thank you all. You're welcome.